broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Hello, boys and girls. It is currently day number... 46 of quarantine here in Los Angeles, California. Not much has changed in that arena, except there's a glimmer of hope that March 15th, our gym, our home, will once again be ours in some capacity, of to which is still unknown. And I'm just holding out, hoping out, because some other parts of the country are opening. Uh, Georgia, Texas, South Carolina are starting to lift their restrictions. We want to make a, you know, good demonstration and be the fucking best over here in California. So we're being a little slow, but I am still hopeful. You can hate me if you motherfucking want, but my opinion as of right now on the coronavirus taking in some of the evidence that's out there, some of the testing that's been done, some of the random sampling that's been done. I have yet to get a serology test. Um, I know I'm 99.9% sure Stephen and I had it in December, and I just don't want to pay to get it done twice if the government mandates we get it through, like, a certain agency. It's, like, 125 bucks in our area. I don't want to have to pay that twice since money is real tight right now. But... My opinion, maybe unpopular opinion, is that there's no good exit strategy and we need herd immunity. And the only way to fucking get it, sorry Aunt Sally, but the weak are going to go down. Because I look at it this way, since I'm doing owning a gym podcast, all small businesses are basically like people too. And how many businesses are going to fucking die because what the fuck is going on? probably a goddamn lot and then when we take the some of the total of the actual death toll when these numbers are coming out it may be slightly skewed in the sense of the disproportionate effect that the economy is having versus the amount of people who are actually perishing sick or you know whatever affected i do feel for people who have lost their loved ones but honestly like i feel like you're just as likely to get fucking in a car accident and die as you are to get the coronavirus and die. So, Aunt Sally can suck my dick. Anywho, here we are. I finally am in a headspace to do this podcast about opening a gym. I was supposed to do the podcast with Stephen today, but Stephen is not quite feeling up for it. So, rather than, you know, poking my partner when he is in prep, I decided that I feel ready to do this podcast, and when he is actually eating carbs, we will probably do the couples podcast. Um, For some reason, all of my question boxes pre-quarantine got so much activity and questions, and now that we're in quarantine, every time I post a question box, I'm like barely getting questions, and like, say I get like 20 questions, Like, 11 of them are fucking bots. I don't know what Instagram algorithm is there, or people are just bored with my questions, but I don't know. I got a ton of fucking questions for this, because y'all want to know how to open a gym. 
So here we are. It's 2020. Our gym is actually approaching its two-year anniversary on the 1st of May, which is in four days. So, five days. Um, kind of cool that we've made it this far because our biggest fear in opening our gym is, are we going to make it? And that was what based a lot of our decisions in the beginning. So, I'm going to kind of do this podcast in three parts. The first is kind of talk about the generalities of opening a small business, in particular a gym, but this can be applied or translated to other businesses. Um, I'm going to talk about the way we did things uh, in relation to these, you know, parts, and then just some other things and aspects that maybe people don't consider or you know, things just owning a business that come up financially that need to be addressed and taken care of. And then I'm going to go into questions. I do feel like this podcast is going to be lengthy. So button up, buckle up, and here we motherfucking go. So it has been evident to me in all of the questions that I got that a lot of y'all motherfuckers want to open a gym. I never, ever wanted to own my own business. I also never wanted to run my own practice. And now I'm doing them both. Five years out of PT school and uh, two years into this gym. So it definitely was not my dream. It just became my reality uh, that I very much put a lot of work into. And Stephen pushed me into the idea more than I was ready for it myself. So I know I said I was going to do this in three parts, but a lot of the things I'm going to detail about our gym are going to go hand in hand with me talking about like the steps necessary to open a gym or to start a business because I want to reflect on what, you know, really happens and then what we did and why we did it. So those two are going to kind of run simultaneously. But first you need a business idea. Why Like, it's cool to say, yeah, I want to open a gym, but if there's not a need and there's not a demand and you don't have a reason to draw people in, you kind of don't have a good idea because, you know, like there's a million shoe stores and, well, not really. There's fucking Amazon now. So it's like, you'd be dumb to open like, you know, Sally Shoes. Sorry, Aunt Sally, you probably died of coronavirus. Anyways, but... You know, with the online market, having, you know, a retail store that's maybe niche or you fucking sell trinkets. Like, actually, our um, neighboring business is this woman who should have let the shit go 50 fucking years ago. But she works a part-time job at the Home Depot to pay for her rent at her, I can't call it anything else but a trinket shop. Like, she sells, like, some holiday cards and, like, some weird clothing and just a smorgasbord of, like, you ever just, like, it's like going into a fucking gift shop at the airport. It's just, like, random shit that you would never really fucking need in the first place. And, you know, stores like that don't thrive in today's economy and market. So what about your business idea is going to set you apart to create, whether there already is a need and a demand, what are you going to do to create the demand and the draw? So South Bay Strength Company started because there was a need and we could provide the draw and there is a demand for powerlifting. In our area, we're in San Pedro, which is kind of like the end of a peninsula, so to speak. There, it's difficult to get to places like the greater Los Angeles area. There is, you know, several powerlifting gyms, um, pros and cons to all of them. 
but not really any that were in a reasonable drivable distance for either of us. We were, to satisfy my powerlifting needs, uh, as you ladies know, when you have a very technical setup on your bench, you ben- benching on a fucking shitty ass commercial bench ain't gonna cut it. So, you know, Mondays we would go here for so that I could bench, and then Wednesdays we would go to this place because they actually had deadlift bars. And, you know, I, I've told this part of the story many a times before, but the need was there over and over and over again. And Stephen was the one with the actual business idea. And he was chirping it into my ear, like, we should just open a gym, we should just open a gym, we should just open a gym. And that's kind of where his knowledge and, you know, skill set stopped was with the idea now granted without the idea we wouldn't have what we have but the idea in and of itself is just that it's an idea if you don't have a plan to implement it so also logistics with our location there was the ability to create a draw and an increased demand we do have a commercial gym LA shitness in our area and there's a lot of people in San Pedro that train there out of convenience so people who are interested in powerlifting could then transfer over to our gym the closest actual like competitor would be Dave Fisher's but honestly it's not really comparable in a powerlifting setting a lot of people train there because Torrance um, if you're local you know what I'm talking about uh, Torrance has a large market for people who want to powerlift. He has powerlifting-esque things, but you're not allowed to really powerlift in his gym. Like, you get kicked out if you drop a weight or a plate or what the fuck ever. You can't scream, you can't be loud, you can't be aggressive, which is some of the nature and foundation that powerlifting's built on. He does have, like, a competition bench, which is a plus, and the, like, when I would take my openers, sometimes I would go there. Um, Metroflex in Long Beach is our next direct competitor. They lock up their powerlifting equipment unless you train with Liz and the crew of powerlifters. Um, they now have a combo rack that they don't take the bullets out <laughs> that other people can use, but, um, when we first started at our gym, they didn't, but they still lock up all the good bars and the kilos and the chains and, they don't really have bands and stuff like that. So there was a lot of gaps in the market. And what we wanted was probably what every powerlifter wants. is like, we're sick of going to gyms and being like, well, you can't use chalk and you're intimidating other members and you can't be loud and you can't do this and you can't do that. Like, motherfucker, fuck you. I'm going to fucking adult. I pay my dues and I'm going to do what the fuck I want. But... There needs to be a space that's created to allow that type of behavior because, you know, people with their face masks and their fucking rules are just too protective of goddamn Aunt Sally. And guess what? We don't give a fuck. We're actually, our face masks we ordered, we got like ski masks that protect like from your neck all the way to your nose. And uh, they say they have like our logo all over it, but then on the mouth, on one side, it says eat the week. And then on the other side, if you flip it over, it says herd mentality. So those will be coming out this week. They're going to be 10 bucks and we hope all y'all buy them. But my, I know I'm being mean about this fucking COVID-19 shit, but it is really how I feel. And the largest reason of this is because of what has happened to our small business this business is you know our baby it's our livelihood it is everything to us and for the government just to say fuck you 
here's, oh, by the way, we got our SBA loan. $1,000 is what the government thought that was appropriate for a loan to, for us to make it. I sent them tax statements. I applied for an economic disaster relief loan, which should have been in the sums of thousands of dollars, and uh, sent a profit and loss statement, get declared what our you know, current losses are, project what they will be, um, our expenses, all of that stuff. And they're like, here's a thousand bucks. My credit score dropped 14 points from them checking my credit to get this fucking loan. I'd rather have that back than their motherfucking thousand dollars. So that's why I feel so strongly about what is going on here and Aunt Sally. So we found that all of the, the trifecta was there, the demand, the need, and then the draw. The draw is, I don't mean to sound cocky or overconfident at all, but it's us. Um, Steven and I both have a pretty big influence in our respective communities as far as bodybuilding and powerlifting. Um, not that I feel like, oh, the gym wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for us, but people know us in our respective communities and people look to us for inspiration and you know what we're doing and the fact that we do have some notoriety whether it's because of our accolades or Steven's ass on Instagram whatever it's there so especially being at the LA fitness sorry LA shitness that we were working out at there was a lot of people who you know when you're a strong female there you're a big dude there people you know recognize you and notice you and they want to do what you're doing and so there we knew we had some ability to ask some people to maybe come to the dark side. So in summation of what I was saying there, I don't think that just wanting to start a gym is an appropriate business idea. Coming from someone who owns a business and realizes the complexities of having a successful business, there has to be something that is different that sets you apart from other gyms. So for example, to make South Bay Strength Company simple, the reason why our business idea was different and that it would work is that logistically we're in a location that we're far enough apart from our competitors that we would have a geographical draw. We were creating a business model that is not available in any other gym with the atmosphere of no rule with us being open 24 hours and with us having all the powerlifting equipment for conjugate and bodybuilding and having bands and chains and all of that and it's all accessible to every single member all of the time. So those were the differences with our gym that we knew we had something that was niche and something that wasn't yet there in the market that would create the ability for a sustainable business model because there's a ton of fucking gyms out there so you need to figure out what's going to set your gym apart then once you have your business idea you actually need to create a business which would be an llc an s corp a c corp a sole proprietorship uh, a partnership there's many 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 types of ways you can create and start your business and that road would start with going to your government's website so for california i think it's sos.ca.gov secretaryofstate.california.gov and you can look at the different options of what you think would be the best type of option for you if you feel completely lost you can get with a corporate 
um, attorney and they can instruct you on what you think they think would be the best for you. Either that or an accountant um, would have some insight on the different things with C-Corps and S-Corps and LLCs and all of that. We are an S-Corp. We are an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, and S-Corp is more so to do with how the dividends are distributed, which let me tell you right now, there ain't that many dividends, y'all. But it has to do with our filing purposes and any profits that are taken, how they're taxed and all that jazz. My knowledge on that, I wouldn't say is limited, but I would say is not extensive, which is why we pay an accountant to do our accounting. But I know enough to know what we're set up with and why. So forming a LLC or a business in general um, can be a scary step in a state like California because once you create that entity, you are automatically due $800 in taxes at the end of the year no matter what. Whether you start that business or not, having that LLC is $800 a year. In Ohio, I remember, I don't know if I was an undergrad or grad, I think I was in grad school, um, I started a company called AC's Delicious Nutritious. And I was going to make these protein waffles, and I had this recipe. They were like three grams of carbohydrates, y'all. So I was going to sell the powder, and then you mix it with egg whites, and you make these waffles. I thought they were fucking delicious. Like, looking back, probably not, because I was, like, in bodybuilding craze. But um, there, there's no... I think that my LLC is still valid. There's no... Um, you know, tax status or filing just to create the LLC, and I'm not sure about other states. So then the next step would be to determine what size you need for your business. So our gym was determined by several factors, but the biggest one, well, we had our vision of what we wanted. We wanted a badass, old-school machines, like, no fucking bullshit type of place where you could do whatever the fuck you want. But we wanted to be able to afford the business with both of our salaries if for some reason it failed, which, like I said in the beginning, was our biggest concern. So at the time, Stephen was uh, working full-time as a union plumber, and I was working at Providence in the hospital, still as a physical therapist. And together, we wanted to make sure that our income could cover the complete overhead for the gym if for some reason once we opened we had zero members so that determined a lot of our budget as far as our operating costs and the location we were going to get and how much debt we were going to assume and all of that but location is key for several reasons so all of this kind of I'm gonna go back and forth with these couple of items I'm gonna talk about financing and a commercial lease because they're kind of one and the same, but there's when you are just starting a business, you cannot get a small business loan because you don't have a business to give a loan off of. Traditionally, they want like a year in business, but the gold standard is two years in business to be able to really get a um, substantial amount of money. You could apply for a personal loan. You could assume credit card debt. You can do what we did, which is take every single motherfucking dollar you have and also sell yourself. So Stephen and I, the biggest question I got, and I'm going to address it now, is how did you get the money to start? Well, 
I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm going to be honest. Stephen works in the union. He makes, at the time, he was making more money than I was, and I had my motherfucking doctorate. So he was making over $50 an hour at the union. I was working at the hospital making around, I think, like $43 an hour. Um, at the time, we both collectively had no credit card debt. We lived together in an apartment with pretty decent rent. We were good on saving. Um, when I was a traveling physical therapist, my overhead and expenses as a human were very low, and I was able to bank a decent amount of money. I paid off some student loans, so some of my like you know monthly rotating debt was lessened and we saved we had uh i would say cash we probably put sixty thousand into the gym cash and then another fifty thousand came so that cash i'm sorry i'm gonna split it into two it was probably about it was twenty nine thousand in credit card debt and thirty thousand cash um we had no credit card debt. We opened a bunch of credit cards that all had 0% interest for a year, and we maxed them all out. We did, with the LLC, we were able to open a business bank account, and they were, um, you know, liberal with their um, line of credit on their credit card, and I think it was like 12000 to begin with. And then we applied for, like, two other ones, and we ended up getting one that was, like, another... 12000 and then one that was like $8,000, um, all with 0% interest. So we maxed all those bad boys out. And then we got an equipment financing loan. So an equipment financing loan, there are companies out there that specialize in financing equipment for businesses, whether it's a gym, whether it's a software company and you're buying computers, or whether you're a farmer and you're buying fucking tractors. They specialize in the financing of equipment and equipment only. So what this means is you don't apply for a loan and get a nice check. It means that you apply for a loan and it has to be a specific dollar amount reflecting an invoice. You can only get that loan if you have a lease signed to put your shit in for your business. So like I said, it's kind of all one and the same. So we had found a place that we really thought was going to be the place. It was this old meat market, and it was fucking huge. It was like 4,500 square feet, and it had so much potential to do so many other cool things. And we were, like, considering, like, living in there. There was, like, a loft, which all sounds crazy to me now. <laughs> but then we, like, we negotiated, like, 18 months free rent out of these people and because there was so much work that needed to be done to this building. It was like from the 1800s and just, but the potential for shit to go wrong was so high that we decided that that building wasn't a good choice. At the same time, we were looking into different manufacturers for equipment and also different used resellers for equipment. And I found this guy in Pennsylvania who had a bunch of shit that I really liked on eBay. And then I ended up communicating with him and then we found another supplier online. It's called Williams Strength and Speed. And they actually are one of the manufacturers for Elite FTS. So it's basically Elite FTS equipment just through a different supplier. Well, I was looking into how can we buy all this equipment because this shit's expensive and we maxed out these cards and blah, blah, blah. Well, 
we had to have the lease signed in order to get the loan for the equipment, which also doesn't make sense because you have to submit the invoices for the equipment. It was just like fast backwards because we didn't know how much space we were going to have to buy the equipment that we were buying to put it in the motherfucking space. So we bought all this equipment kind of blind. We found a different location, which is the location we're in now. We signed a lease and we signed it hastily because the guy in Pennsylvania was starting to sell off our equipment and I'm like listen motherfucker I will give you a $5,000 deposit like what do you want to stop selling this shit I'm trying to get this loan so I can buy your fucking shit and the guy refused to put anything on hold so we were pretty upset and I don't know like there's always that hurry up and wait factor when you're you know doing anything like with the government or with your business where there's, you know, I know people know that feeling of hurry up and wait. So we, I say we signed our lease hastily because I guess it's, if I would have known now what I would have known then, how differently I would have done things. But our lease with our current fucklord, Warren, it is like 30 fucking pages long. Like it's so ridiculous. It's, I'll probably get into some stories about him. But um, I would have negotiated a lot of the terms out of that lease before signing it or would have found a different building if he wouldn't have agreed to it. So we signed that lease. We got our financing. So basically that company directly pays your invoices. So, and, you know, we got approved for $50,000. in our first loan and like I would say like six months after we had that loan they reached out to us and they're like well you know you've been paying your loan blah 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 so if you want to apply for more you can get more but that was their initial uh availability of funds that they lent to us so 50,000 in that loan um 30,000 in credit card debt and 30,000 in cash so do the math folks that's $110,000 so that was just like to basically like get everything rolling and then I would say in our first six months of being open we probably put in I would say our our initial startup costs were $150,000 we have a 2,500 square foot gym um, and we did not go out and buy arsenal fucking equipment we bought a mixture of new and used equipment that suited our needs not we didn't really dictate it by price we dictated it by what we wanted there was a couple of non-negotiables like steven had to have a vertical leg press period paragraph end of discussion we both wanted this specific king fitness hack squat period paragraph end of discussion and then your girl had to have this unilateral shoulder press that like went up in like an arcing like kind of like a u motion and i was so disappointed because the one pitfall of buying used equipment online from a supplier that's in another state is you can't try it and it wasn't what i wanted And we ended up selling it shortly after we opened. But we did get the vertical leg press we wanted, and we did get the hack squat we wanted at a premium. So those we had to buy separate. Uh, The most expensive thing of buying equipment is not necessarily... Well, the equipment itself is super fucking expensive, but also the shipping. So the vertical leg press, I think, was around $4,000, and then it's like another 1000 to ship it. Hack squat, same thing. So... 
those things, I think people, when you go to a gym and you go to, like, a shitty gym, like, L.A. shitness, all of their, that, like, Lifetime, those brands are cheap-ass China bullshit. It's greatly manufactured on a commercial level that the quality and the the specifications and the mechanics of these machines and the equipment is is very subpar to actual real you know equipment that's meant to stand the test of time and be put to the test with heavy use so they're the reason why it's so cheap is because obviously they want to do it on a grand scale and they want to be able to have it be easily replaceable. Whereas a lot of the pieces and types of equipment we wanted are unique pieces that maybe aren't even made anymore and they still stand the test of time. But um, secularized, selectorized, there we go, selectorized equipment is like that equipment where you put the, the pin in and you can choose your weight stack. That is actually super expensive in comparison to any equipment that's plate loaded because you're paying, you know, also by the pound for the plates and or for the weights that are on there and for the shipping because it's, you know, you just took, if it was free of those weights, you know, 250, 300 pounds, whatever the stack is off of it. So there's a lot of different factors when it goes into choosing your equipment and what equipment is right for you. I can't necessarily, you know, say a layout of the formula of what equipment is best because that, again, is tied directly into your business idea, your plan, and your model. But I highly would shy away from, you know, buying. It's totally worth it to spend the money and get the nicer shit off of the bat. During... Um, COVID-19, you know, people have asked us to rent our equipment, to buy our equipment. We've gotten a lot of enticing offers for things at the gym, but I think there's a true disconnect for gym goers in understanding how expensive nice equipment is. Um, someone once asked, like, oh, hey, where did you get your, like, utility benches or, you know, like, the benches that are adjustable that you can roll around? And I was like, oh, well, I don't think you want to buy it. And I sent him a screenshot they are $300 a piece. So it's like they're not cheap. So when shit gets ripped, shit breaks, all that stuff, it's, yeah, we, to a certain extent, expect a certain amount of things to, like, rip and tear and get broken because that's the nature of the beast. But also, it's a little disheartening, like, oh, that was a $500 bar and you just fucking dropped it and that's shit out of it. But we did find that you can get your bar straightened. <laughs> Didn't know that at first replaced two bars out of pocket. So, anyways, off of these tangents, location, location, location. So, when you're looking for a location, there's um, some websites. So, commercial real estate is very different than residential. Commercial real estate goes off of zoning laws for your city and your community and your county. Zoning refers to the different use that that building specifically carries and is allowed to be used in. So zoning is more of a blanket, I wouldn't say umbrella term, but it's more of like, I love analogies and the analogy is evading my mind that would be good for this. So the zone dictates the use. There can be multiple uses in the same zone. For example, we are C2 commercial. So there's C1 through C4 commercial in Los Angeles County. Um, C2 encompasses all of C1 uses as well as C2. 
If I was to look up the manual, which I have before, of all of the uses that C2 Commercial allows, it's like 80-some pages. It is a plethora of business types that and subtypes that are allowed to be housed in that type of building and facility. Now, that does not reflect what the building is actually occupancy permitted for. So the zoning is one thing, but whatever business was in there previously or whichever business has a certificate of occupancy last in that building dictates what the building is able to be used for now. For example, our building was retail. So only another retail store would be able to go into that building without changing the use of the building in its current zone. I hope I haven't lost any of you yet. Well, when there's different laws and ADA, it's pretty standard across the United States when it went into effect that if you change the use of a building, it triggers ADA compliance. So the building that we have has been a retail building since its inception in 19-fucking-20 when it was built. So now that we're changing it, now we have to abide by ADA regulations and laws and all of these codes come into play. So that is another story. But when looking at a building, you need to see what the zone of the building is. Is your use of a gym compatible with that zone? And what would it take? So then you'd have to go to the city and ask, what would it take to change this to this my intended use? Um, you know, it, it could be a really lengthy process just to find out if that building and that lease is right for you. We um, have been looking into different buildings to expand. We're calling it SBSC 2.0. When our lease is up here, we want to get the fuck out of this building and go into a bigger space. There was a place in Torrance that we found that was like fucking jack-off orgasm perfect. And it butts up to residential. And I looked at the Torrance uh, city building codes and I looked at you know, that area specifically, I read the whole city manual because I'm fucking crazy. And basically those buildings on that street in particular are on a case by case basis of what uses they will allow in that zone, even though it was industrial. And I was like, well, nope, they're not going to allow a fucking 24 hour gym that has houses behind it, nor do we want to be in an area like that because we've already had a lot of those problems since we opened. So zoning is important. It's important to check with your city, get familiar with what zoning laws, and if you feel like, holy fuck, I already feel like this is overwhelming, find somebody who knows more than you and pay them to do it for you. Whether it's me, I would love to fucking console opening businesses because this is where I thrive. Or, you know, sometimes a good realtor will know some of this stuff. Sometimes, most of the time, they're fucking dumbasses. Maybe your landlord knows, maybe not. But that's really important because what if you signed a lease to a place that you thought was all good and well, and then you're in there as a gym, and the city's like, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't allowed to be here. So it's the burden falls on you as a tenant and potential business owner to seek out the legalities of knowing if you're allowed to be in that space, which I feel personally there should be more checks and balances, and it shouldn't rely on the tenant and the business owner. It should be a collaboration between the city, the landlord, and the business owner, but I'm not running for governor just yet. So a slight tangent. 
I said I was going to get into what happened with our ADA. So, again, you don't know what you don't know, right? When we went into this building, we knew we were going to have to change it to a gym. And we got some misinformation from a friend who was a um, contractor who told us that as long as we were in the planning process with the city to change our use from retail to a gym, that they would allow our use in the interim. Well, yeah, in theory, that works all and well if there ain't fucking snitches. Well, we, the building that we got was two doors down from this couple that had it out for us from the fucking get-go. I don't know if it was business envy, I don't know what it was, but, like, they just didn't like us well. So it was these two ladies, Annie and Sylvia, they had a cute little fucking dog, and uh, they were, like, nice at first, but then their niceness got, like, overbearing, where they were, like, texting too much, calling too much, there too much. So they were, like, 35 feet away, separated by a building in between. So we're in, like, an old, kind of, like, downtown historic area that all the buildings are connected together, even though they're separate, and separate buildings and all that, but the walls, uh, share walls. And they lived in that they have a tango studio. It was a tango studio and photography shop. They converted the back of it into a studio apartment, which, since I just educated you on zoning, residential and commercial zoning are two totally different things. And to apply to change, so changing the use is one thing. Changing the zone of a building requires, in the city of Los Angeles, a $9,995 application not even including having a public hearing that everyone within that's like 500 feet is required to come and they get to decide if that they feel like this use is going to impact the area, blah, blah, blah. So changing something to residential or you can get what's called a residential variance. So it's like you can have a mixed use is an expensive fucking process. So these ladies had been living there. The original tenant named Annie, she had been living there for 20 years. And her partner, Sylvia, I think she was there for like 11 years or whatever, however long they'd been together. So they didn't like us being a gym. They didn't like us being there 24-7 because they're artists and this is an artist community and blah, blah, fucking blah. And it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I hear somebody. I hear something. I hear something. Well, fuck yeah, you fucking hear something because we're fucking 24-7 motherfucking business, bitch. So this went on back and forth for several months and it got pretty heated and it just it was not a good situation they were like coming into the gym and like telling people to leave and taking pictures in the middle of the night and um we ended up like having to tint the windows and all this stuff well they ended up um filing well first they reported us because we were we don't know what we don't know they reported us that we were a retail building operating as a gym so we got a violation from the city, and the city, the owner of their building has pull with people in the city, and they shut us down. They put a note on our door that just said, you're not allowed to operate, you're fucking shut down, you're operating illegally because you're a gym and you're operating in a retail space. What was supposed to happen is there was supposed to be an investigation. They were supposed to get um, a warrant to come in with the fire and police department, take pictures to prove that the business is operating as it is illegally and, you know, have their ducks in a row. And then they file and submit the order that you have to shut down until you're in compliance. 
Well, all of that got skipped because someone knows someone who sucks someone's dick and whatever. So we closed. And our fucking world was crumbling. And Steven and I were like, guess what? We're going to band together and we're going to fucking figure this out. So our misinformation in the beginning turned into a disaster, which if we were told in the beginning, like, hey, you can't open until this is a gym, we would have fucking switched it to a gym first. So what that entails is basically there's an equation for your use. So whether you're a daycare, an office building, a gym, a hair salon, an automotive shop, there's a per square foot equation, and then that translates to bathrooms. So different uses will have different needs. Like an automotive shop isn't going to have as high as a need for bathrooms as somewhere where there's a lot of people, like an office or a gym, right? So our equation for our 2,500 square foot space was one handicapped men's, one handicapped women's, and one women's regular bathroom. Three motherfucking bathrooms for 2,500 square feet. Fucked up. If we would have had more time, we would have been able to play with the architecture and make a lot of storage space, which would have taken our restrooms down significantly. But being as in we were motherfucking closed, we had no motherfucking choice. So for the next 28 days that we were closed, it was a series of Stephen calling off of work, me calling off of work, one of us going to the city, all both of us staying up basically all night long, doing the construction, a lot of it ourselves. Thank God Stephen's a plumber. And we got that shit. We built out three bathrooms, got it inspected and signed off by architectural, electrical, HVAC, plumbing, what the fuck ever in 28 days. There was a lot of other bullshit that went in with it. It cost us like $40,000 on a pocket. That was eight months into us being open. And so add that to the bill, right? So 150 plus 40, we're almost at 200, yo. So that was just a crazy time. But we got it done. And so once you're inspected and signed off, they issue you what's called a certificate of occupancy. So that is how many people you're allowed to have in your business, right, for fire codes, all that shit. Ours is 52, and then your business is legit. So now if someone else wants to go into there, say, a restaurant, because now we have a urinal. Oh, we had to have a urinal, too. Since we have a urinal... Now a restaurant and a bar can be in there. I don't know. There's like weird laws for that. You have to have a urinal in a restaurant now. So it's enticing for the landlord because now a restaurant can go in there as the next tenant, but they would have to do a change of use. But all they would probably have to do is file fucking paperwork because all of the actual, you know, things with the plumbing and all that and the bathrooms is done. So that's the hardest part. So I hope that makes sense in, you know, helping you choose or navigate what use and the how hard it may be to change the use and some things you may run into but we are good to go and that process taught me so much about what we're looking for in our next building and what questions to ask before I put the pen to the paper and signing a new lease what's next on my list startup money equipment loan got it Equipment choices. So there's there's a couple ways you can go about choosing your equipment. Um, there's Craigslist gyms out there like Iron Addicts. I, the first time we went to that gym, because Stephen and I used to do gym dates. Like on the weekends, we would go to different gyms, like drive far, you know, like check out different places. Iron Addicts is a Craigslist gym. It was like C.T. Fletcher like went on Craigslist one day, and he's like, I'm going to fucking fill out this gym, motherfucker, and I'm going to get everything off Craigslist right now. Because I want this gym to open tomorrow. So 
I don't know why he sounds like that, but he does. <laughs> and it's just like a weird menagerie of fucking old, ripped-ass fucking... It's raw, it's real, but it's Craigslist. Uh, Metroflex, pretty much the same thing. There's um, new equipment, which can be from, you know, a supplier or manufacturer like Elite FTS or, um, you know, Ghost has some cool shit now, Texas Strength, where we got our equipment, Total Strength and Speed. And, you know, there's newer equipment that isn't necessarily like, you know, Rogue, whatever. And then there's fucking fancy-ass, bougie-ass shit. Like, if you have a full assault gym. Assault is, their shit's cool. I would say 50% of it is, like, different, unique, and functional. And then the other 50% of it is, like, why the fuck is this $8,000 piece of equipment here just for doing shoulder press? Why? Why? What the fuck else can you do with it? Um, Same thing with Westside Barbell. Um, Super specialized, super expensive powerlifting equipment that, you know, maybe that shit fits your needs, Maybe you got Daddy Warren Bucks fucking... I say Daddy Warren Bucks because that's our landlord's name and he's an old fucking rich white dude, so I call him Daddy Warren Bucks. Um, You know, whatever your needs are, but also know, like, yes, it's what you want, but also it's that tying back to need, demand, and draw. What pieces of equipment are the need? What is there a demand for? And what pieces of equipment are going to draw consumers to you? So that's where Steven and I had to make a compromise, which was powerlifting versus bodybuilding. There was definitely more of a need for powerlifting equipment in our area than there was for bodybuilding. So we sacrificed a little bit more on the bodybuilding side, mostly due to our space constraints that we couldn't, we can't, we are fucking tetris in there like you cannot get you got like got to move one piece of equipment out of the way so you can use it and then you got to put it back it's like a little bit crazy (laughs) how wedged in there we are but in our next gym you know that's going to be the focus is amping up the bodybuilding side of things and also powerlifting but who knows if there's going to be a next gym at this point coronavirus but we're hoping so Those are some things to think about. Like, you don't want to just get a weird menagerie of equipment that isn't specific to one group because, again, that ties in with your business idea. And also, just not buying shitty fucking shit because you're going to end up regretting it. You're going to end up needing to replace it. And the quality, like, this, you, these pieces of equipment are not used lightly or nicely. So think about, like, the person you know who disrespects the gym the fucking most because there's always somebody. Think about them using the shit that you're going to buy, and it needs to withstand the test of time. All right, so we got our business idea. We got our location. We got our equipment. We got our financing talked about. Let's talk about dealing with potential pitfalls. So as I discussed, we thought our largest problem was going to be, are we going to make it? Well, that was the least of our problems over the course of the past two years that we've encountered. Um, You know, we dealt with the city. We dealt with having to change our use. We dealt with having a shutdown. We gave our members um, a month for free. So not only did we lose $40,000 in the build-out of those bathrooms, we lost our income for the month of our members because we weren't able to be open. So we gave everybody, you know, those weeks for free, which hurt us significantly as well. Let's talk about getting sued. 
find yourself a good lawyer. Our lawyer, Tim Pollard, is fucking awesome, but he's also fucking expensive at $300 an hour. I'm afraid to call the motherfucker for five minutes because that is round up to 15 There we go, $125. Thank you, Tim. But <laughs> during this coronavirus pandemic, I legit about four to five times a week am looking up Juris Doctorate. And really thinking about getting my law degree because at this point in time as a business owner, um, although what I'm doing as a physical therapist highly correlates with our business model and it's, you know, a stream of revenue and customers, being a lawyer would also save us a lot of money in uh, some of our yearly expenses in retaining and using one. So, Adrian, if you become a PT lawyer or just a lawyer in general, please do. So, and be cheaper than Tim, okay? So, our lovely lezzies that I mentioned earlier, Sylvia and Annie, not only did they report us, but they decided to sue us. Um, well, they filed a restraining order against Stephen because he's big and scary, right? And in filing the restraining order, they also tried to shut down our business. It was like a weird, they went about it in the wrong way. They should have just filed a civil lawsuit but they tried to do a restraining order and they tried to say like that the business was also needing restraint because of the nuisance and bothering it was causing to them and blah blah fuckity blah long story short ten thousand it was like ten or fifteen thousand not sure because we were hemorrhaging money at that time so the numbers are kind of irrelevant right now it was between ten and fifteen thousand dollars later we won the restraining order slash lawsuit, what the fuck ever. And then we ended up reporting them to the city because you're fucking dumb if you think we're not going to look into your situation, bitch. So not only did they convert their studio there illegally, they also were not, they were in a retail building operating a dance studio. So like, you better have your ducks in a row before you start fucking pointing at somebody else. So that'll happen in October. And by Christmas... They were evicted. Um, I don't feel bad about it. I really wanted to, like, sit in a chair and eat popcorn and watch them move their shit out. But I missed the actual day that they moved. Um, I have hatred in my heart for few people in this world. And those two bitches are two of them. And every time I see them, because, like, they still, their tango studio moved a few blocks down. And uh, sometimes I still see them run city. I, like, wave to them. And then they see me. And then I'll turn it to, like, a fuck you flick off. I love it. Uh, I hold a grudge against someone who fucks with my livelihood in that way, and they really did. But guess what? They fucking lost. But guess what? We lost ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Lawyer fees are discretionary unless there's a precedent set against them prior. So our judge was like, "Hey, both parties suffered a lot here, and uh, I'm not awarding any legal fees because uh, I think that's uh, enough suffering anyway. So uh, have a good day." Our judge was not Dr. Phil, nor did he have an accent, but dramatic effect. Their lawyer was probably about 96 years old. I think he retired about 45 years ago, but he was a friend of theirs. So I think their legal fees were zero. And again, Tim, I hope we're putting your kids through college. So there was that. Um, plumbing. Thank God my husband's a plumber yet again because the building that we're in that was built in 1920 does not have sufficient plumbing to flush the fucking shit down the toilet. And probably about... 
five to six times we've actually had to call plumbing service. Um, there's 150 feet from where our toilets are to the main line, and that's 150 feet of fall or no fall. So the, to, the shit has to travel that far. And the toilet paper and the tampons and the rags and whatever clever things people decide to flush down the toilet has to travel all of that way to make it to the big pipe where it goes bye-bye. Well, guess what? This shit doesn't really go bye-bye at South Bay Strength Company. So we had to invest $1,000 into a commercial snake that Stephen has many times, if you come to our gym, have seen us, bathrooms are stopped up, snake in the fucking drain. So over time, we feel that the pipe has settled and the amount of fall or pitch that it has has decreased which does not push the shit down the toilet. Also, um, the city of Los Angeles, being as conservative as it is, requires automatic shut-off faucets uh, in order to be inspected and passed. So there's very little water, and all the toilets nowadays are all water-conserving toilets, so the amount of water that gets pushed down is not enough. I'm not, not everybody takes massive dumps, but I'm just saying, in general, toilet paper whatever is flushed down the toilet. There's not enough water and water flow because the frequency of the usage of the toilets is also low because we are a gym. We're not a restaurant where we're constantly flipping, you know, people in traffic that the toilets back off very, back up very, very frequently. Just about two weeks ago, Stephen got this crazy hydro jet pressure washer fucking assemble and he's like, motherfucker, try to flush a shirt down the toilet because I will blast that shit to Kansas. So he feels prepared that we are now shit safe. So, but that has been an expensive fucking journey. Um, and also, you know, a lot of sweaty, uncomfortable hours for Steven. And let's talk about coronavirus. So, you know, the stability of and the freedom that people are like, ooh, you own your own business. You just must be fucking making it. <laughs> nah. So... Our business um, does not generate a lot of profit. Um, I recently, well, actually, I say recently. It feels like it was just yesterday, but I now am self-employed. It's not through the business. It's through coaching and doing private physical therapy. Um, also, I the business had more demand than I had time for because I deal with a lot of the operations of the business. So I, you know, was going to go to a part-time job. That didn't end up working out. Fucking sucked. And then I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to work for myself. But people, there's this glorification of being a business owner that it's all, you know, roses and sunshine and everything is just okay. But realistically, the fragility of having a business and relying on, consumers to purchase your products and utilize your service can be fragile, especially right now. So we have been closed since March 10th. We have not charged one customer since April 1st. We have not, we have um, posted a PayPal money pool and um, Venmo for donations for people to whom still out of the kindness of their heart are able to donate to us and or are still making money um, to give us anything that you can because the lights don't pay for themselves. So we've received a lot of generous donations from, ironically, like people who aren't even members of our gym. 
I would say, say we got 100 donations, probably only 20 of them are our actual members. And 80 of them are, a lot of them are my clients. So Team Veggie, fuck yeah. I love all of you. And so many of you who don't come to South Bay or aren't members of South Bay, maybe you come there but not regularly, have given me your hard-earned dollars like to support our dream. Thank you so much. It, from the bottom of my heart, I really mean it. But, a, I mean, a lot of our members have given us, you know, and and then random strangers, like, hey, I follow you guys on Instagram, and I love you, and I love your gym. And that's fucking cool. Like, we don't expect that, like, because the burden falls on us, right? Not you guys. And the government obviously doesn't give a fuck. $1,000, fuck you. So it just goes to show that, like, you know, right now as a business owner, before coronavirus happened, we were juggling with, you know, where's our next location going to be? How many square foot do we want to be? How much money do we need in the bank? We had this uh, benchmark of savings that we were trying to hit to be able to, you know, obtain a new lease into a bigger space. And now we're like, fuck, is that even going to happen? Is it even a good idea? What if, what if we were already in that space and we closed right now? Our overhead would be so much more. We would be so fucked. So... It's hard, you know, pandemics, you know, what geographically where you're at, hurricane, like all that stuff. And it's, it's just things to potential pitfalls that maybe, you know, I, I would never in a million years thought that our gym would be forced to be shut down like this without any, you know, help from the government. So that's just, you know, something to think about. Something I didn't mention that I just thought of about commercial leasing is... So commercial leasing versus like a regular lease, you have a lot more room for negotiation in a commercial lease, including the price, including free rent, and a lot of other terms. Like, you know, when you're a tenant in, you know, an apartment, you don't really have much choice, nor are there a lot of restrictions on you. When you're opening a business, there's a lot more bridge work that goes into it. But like we negotiated, so we signed a three-year lease. And we negotiated three months free rent, one month for each year signed in the front of our lease. So our first three months were free, which were, you know, critical in helping us get off the ground. And um, like I said, we negotiated 18 months with that other building that we didn't end up going into, thank God. Um, some lease organizations, maybe they'll negotiate three months free rent, but what they do is they divide those three months out over your payments of, you know, your first year. So maybe you're, you still are paying, but it's decreased by $500 a month or whatever it equates to, something like that. Um, or it's at the end, or there's a lot of different ways that they can do it. But one of the biggest hooks is money in the bank. Charlie, what you drink? It's commercial lease. They want to see the motherfucking cashish. When we went to sign our lease... Um, my landlord made us um, give him a business plan. So I had to make a whole business plan, including a SWOT analysis, which is something I did in physical therapy school. They made us like make like a, like we were going to open a mock practice and we did a SWOT. And I was like, ooh, I know what a SWOT is. So I, I did a SWOT. I did a market analysis. I, I like found like kind of like, uh, you know, what a general business plan entails and then I made one and it was like I bet I could find it it was like 20 pages and it was in I was proud of that okay so not only did he want our business plan to make sure that we weren't fucking retarded and didn't know what we were doing 
he wanted money in the bank. So since at that time, I don't know how much money we had in the bank. We'll say we had $30,000 total to our name. He didn't feel that that was a strong enough dollar amount to make himself feel safe and secure in signing this lease with us. So our initial security deposit was $10,000 plus our first month's rent, which is about $2,500. So that $10,000 is structured, paid back in two increments, $5,000, no, $2,500 once our plans for our new bathrooms were signed off from the city and 5000 once they were completed. We get those money back and then the other 2500 is like an actual security deposit. So we, you know, we knew full and well in the beginning we were going to have to do the bathrooms and all that bullshit. So now that we're looking for a bigger building, we know we need to come prepared with like a hundred K in the bank and they might want like a $30,000 deposit, but that's so that would be, you know, if you don't have money, you might need to take on investors. You might need to find people who have more money. You might need to be like, maybe this dream isn't for me. And that shit's okay. But um, we decided we did not want investors outside anyone, anything, because we had a vision. And we did not one want one more voice or opinion dictating anything we were doing with our vision. Because anybody that has a dollar that now is a part of your project or your business now has an opinion that could be counted. And that has to be in your business plan. Like when you're doing, you know, what is your quote-unquote board and how do you do votes and blah, blah, blah. We're 5149. You know, I, I own more of it. No, just kidding. We're 50-50. So... That comes into play. Like, if you're taking someone's money, guess what? You have to take on their opinions. Unless they're going to be just, here's the cash, silent partner, fuck off, have fun. I doubt it. But we didn't want to take that risk. We got a few offers for people to help invest or wanted to invest, but we just decided that it wasn't for us. And I'm glad we stuck with that decision and kept everything about South Bay pure. And it still is pure to the what we envisioned the day we decided we wanted to do this. All right, done with potential pitfalls. I'm sure there are many, many more, but those are kind of the things that happened to us of things that we weren't thinking of, we couldn't have even thought of when we first were creating this business of our biggest fear was, is it going to work? And then all these other things happened. So I want to talk about diversity of income. So when you're opening a gym or you're starting a small business and that business usually does not generate income for a while, what are you going to be doing to make money? So as I stated, Stephen and I both kept and held our full-time jobs throughout the entirety of the first year of the business to make sure that we had enough to, I mean, if we didn't, we would have failed because, you know, the issue that happened with the bathrooms, getting sued, we needed all of that money to be able to put it back into the business to, to make it. And, you know, right now I'm coaching, but I'm still working full time. I'm doing physical therapy privately. Steven is still plumbing. He has been on unemployment off of or on the books for the past couple months, but he still is a full time plumber. So we still have those resources and, you know, different revenue streams coming in. Our other revenue stream is we own a duplex. Um, April 24th, two days ago, last year, we purchased a duplex. We were not planning on buying a home at all. I just was like one day like, I want to look up 
rental properties. Again, Steven's idea. He was like, we should buy an apartment. We should buy a duplex. We should buy a duplex. And I'm like, fuck you. California homes are way too expensive. My first house was $97,000. That's a fucking down payment on a house here. What the fuck? So we found the duplex we currently live in. Um, We found it and submitted an offer. And Steven hadn't even seen it. He just trusts me that much that I came and viewed it and I'm like this is the one they just lowered the price $40,000 and you know there's different lending options where you can put down you know a lot less than 20% you can put down you know 3% 5% whatever um, we were able to purchase this and again this was another revenue stream for us now we have a tenant now we have someone you know helping us with the bill when we move out of the other side now this can be a potential income property well guess what coronavirus so as i stated in our last my last podcast our tenants are not paying rent and uh that shit all sucks but um in general having a diversified income that isn't just solely reliant on your business is very important especially in you know the infancy of your business when it's not generating a profit is something for you to think about One of the biggest expenses that we ended up not having is employees. Um, Currently, I'm the only employee of South Bay Strength Company, and I receive $1,000 every three months. I get paid $4,000 a year. Um, The reason why my, my salary is so low is basically when you're an owner of a business, you're basically taking and borrowing money from your business all year long, and then at the end of the year, you kind of settle it. So as an owner, you can decide to pay yourself weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever, um, because all of the money is kind of one and the same. And then at the end of the year, you figure out how much did I take and how much did I give. So my salary is kind of irrelevant in the in the fact of like what am I actually taking and receiving. It's so that I can set up a 401k, which I still have yet to do, but at least I'm at step one of paying myself. So the employee thing was a huge fight. So Stephen and I, this is our process. We both have ideas. They may be conflicting. Well, let's say they're conflicting. We fight about it. Nope, my idea is the best. Nope, my idea is the best. Because we are both so fucking type A. And then we both kind of settle. We like, we don't talk about it, but we both internalize the other person's ideas and we reflect and like pros and cons of that idea versus our own idea and then we end up coming together and coming up with some sort of resolution or agree upon one person's idea versus the other and then it's not a fight anymore but it's always a fight initially because my idea is the best you know well the idea of the employee having an employee and having workman's comp insurance and unemployment benefits and all of the stuff that goes along mandating having an employee would have effectively doubled our overhead, even a part-time employee. We considered paying a friend part-time under the table. But Stephen was adamant that we didn't need an employee and we could figure out a way to set up this business where it could be run employee-less. After fighting about it for several weeks, it was a very, very hard fight. This is probably one of the hardest fights we had of everything opening our business was I was like, we need a fucking employee. And he was like, no, we motherfucking don't. So we agreed that we were going to let the business run for like, I think we said like four months or six months without an employee. And if we felt like we needed one after that time, then we would go into hiring one. Two years later, we're still employee-less. Um... 
we figured out a way to structure the entire business where it's all run online and a lot of the elements run itself, which took a lot of setup in the beginning and finding the right software, the right equipment, the right, you know, portal, the right services that we have like, as far as our front door and our back door. But the planning that was put into that from the beginning is what has made that so successful. And I'm really thankful we were able to have that model because it has saved us a lot of money, which has afforded us the ability to continue to be open. And a lot of the profits that we get, we reinvest into the business anyways. Like um, about a year being open, we bought two sets of kilo plates. We buy new bars. We bought a combo rack. Um, I mean, if we had more space, we would be buying other things as well as we are able to. We have kind of entertained the conversation. We aren't sure if we're going to be able to carry over this employee list 24-7 business model when we have a larger facility, but that is a conversation that is tabled and yet to be had as, you know, we don't know the future and viability of our business right now in the current climate of the economy anyways. So... It's something we've talked about and entertained, but also we have a lot more experience and knowledge under our belt in owning and operating this type of business. And to be honest, like the powerlifting community is amazing. The gym isn't our gym. It's your guys' gym. And you guys care for your house and your family and, you know, can't give a fuck about putting shit away and give a fuck about who are you? I don't know you. Are you allowed to be here? Like, show me your day pass. And that shit like matters to us so much up until this past December every single time we went on vacation like I've always still been tending to the gym needs like you know we have a separate cell phone for the gym and people text us for door codes and you know dealing with online things and whatever this past December when Stevie and I went to Hawaii we gave the gym phone to my BFF Marissa who's like kind of like my little like mini manager and she took care of it and it was the first time we were able to like not think about the business for a week in the past two years it was fucking awesome like the reason why I never wanted to own my own business is because I hustled like my whole life you know I hate the terminology of the grind man the fucking grind like you gotta be fucking grinding like fuck that bullshit life should be fun and easy but going through undergraduate school and graduate school and living on my own and owning two homes and making that shit work was very very stressful so at that time is when I decided I don't want to own my own business because I was a general manager for someone who had started a chain of salons and I uh, was a GM for five of them and the amount of stress that I had you know, all the time tending to the needs of the business, I felt like in part I owned that business. And I was like, I cannot wait to work for someone where I can go, hey, Mr. Man, I'm clocking in, pay me my dollars, I'm clocking out, goodbye, Mr. Man. And that is enticing. It still sounds enticing. But now the gym is a 24-7 conscious thought on my mind because it is my livelihood and the way that Stephen and I are moving through this life is highly dependent on what happens with our business. So it, it's, a, it's a definite pro and it's a definite con, but the one thing I can say why it doesn't bother me that much and why I still absolutely love it as much right now, even though we're fucking closed during this pandemic and 
my heart is screaming and crying every day that I can't be with my family. I feel like I'm going to fucking cry. The people that have made this experience so wonderful is because I am so passionate about my sport and about lifting and about the community that powerlifting has given me that I want this to succeed as much as I want to breathe air in my next breath. And I will do, and Stephen and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this moves forward, even if it's giving up everything that we have, because this place means so much to so many people that it just can't go away. All right. On a more positive note, I had to take a little break. I want to talk about some quote-unquote other topics that I said I was going to address in the beginning as like a tertiary part of this podcast. Marketing. We don't pay for advertising for our gym. When we first opened, we I think we spent like 50 bucks on like Facebook advertising. I'm like, this is fucking whack. Um, that ties back into what I was saying in the very, very wee beginning an hour and 12 minutes ago about the draw. Our marketing is solely through our Instagram, basically. It's us, you know, putting out content, lifting at our gym, promoting our gym through our platforms that has given us the exposure that we have needed enough to create a membership base that we are able to function at. So marketing needs are different for everyone. I feel like different platforms and different arenas of marketing are, you know, better for different types of gyms. Like we would never advertise on Groupon because we don't want a hundred motherfuckers of like people searching for a discount. We're not a discount gym. Like, sorry. Like, as I explained, it's super motherfucking expensive to buy our equipment and you know, it's, it's not, we're not looking for people who are looking for a deal. We are looking for people who are committed to their sport, who see the, you know, the seriousness of investing in a place that has everything that they need. So they're investing in themselves and their future as a lifter because you're only limited to the equipment that you can be lifting on, you know? If you have a shitty fucking bench, and then the, I've heard so many times people say, my training partner included, yeah, the first time I ever competed was the first time I was ever on a competition bench and using kilo plates, and I was like, whoa, this is weird. Like, yeah, the fucking equipment makes a goddamn difference. You don't drive blindfolded blindfolded and then go take your driving test looking it that's just not how it works right you you practice as you platform taxes um i kind of touched on this a little bit quickbooks taxes so our first seven months we were open i dedicated myself to doing our quickbooks so we got an accountant right away this dude his name is Luis. he is fucking cool we met him actually at a gym that we used to go to called olympics and it, you know it was like our our friday night deadlift squat gym and he we like this was like when we were super fired up about opening the gym and the idea and he was like oh that's so fucking cool like i'm an accountant i would his his thing is fit financial um like he wants you to be like fit and educated and healthy in your financials and he's just cool dude so from that point on he was our accountant so I did like two sessions with him to learn QuickBooks and then for seven months I did the QuickBooks all by myself and then after seven months like I think I would do like eight hours every Sunday of QuickBooks 
And I was like, fuck this motherfucking QuickBooks bullshit. I don't ever want to do this again. So now we pay him monthly, which is not cheap, to do and manage our QuickBooks account. Um, I am the type of person that I don't want to delegate a task to someone else unless as far as like the business operation goes, unless I understand what that task is myself. So I didn't feel comfortable just saying, here, take care of all of our money, unless I understood the aspects of how that money is delegated and what is going into what and how our finances are being spent and all that stuff. But that's just me. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't have a problem with not doing that fucking work. Oh, it was terrible. I don't recommend it. Software. I... So, how we actually, like, the process of opening the gym was, we got married in December, um, New Year's Eve, 2016, and then we went on our honeymoon to Cuba, and it was during our honeymoon, finally, like, at some point, I broke, and I was like, fine, let's open a gym. So, when we got back um, from that time in January until March, we, like, decided we were going to open the gym, and shit was, like, starting to go, and blah, blah, blah. Well, in mid-March, we had a vacation that was scheduled to go to Greece. We ended up canceling the vacation, not getting our money back. Steven still worked. I stayed home, and for, like, a week and a half or two weeks, whatever it was, I fucking South Bay Strength Company was made. And all day, every day for those two and a half weeks, it just went from a week to two and a half. I don't know how long it was. I think it was 14 days. Um, I just, it was all, it happened. LLC was formed. We got our lease. We got our equipment financing. I fucking worked my ass off. That is what I'm good at. You give me a task that I'm motivated to fucking do and you bet your ass that shit is going to be done faster than you can blink. So in that time... I trialed legit, I am not kidding, about 50 different gym softwares. And the first one that I trialed, Gym Master, is the one we ended up going with, ironically. That one, it was so cool. It set the standard. Like, I took notes. You know, I was like, this one can do this, and this one can do this. Because at that time, we had our business model ready for what we wanted, how we wanted to operate the gym, all that stuff. So I knew what different features I was looking for in, you know, gym equipment or software rather, and no other gym software could compare. The majority of gym softwares that are out there are class-based, meaning that your gym has and operates different classes, and a lot of the functionalities of the software entails booking and managing classes with different staff members and online portals and all that jazz. Well, we knew that Zumba and spinning were never going to be in our reality, so we didn't give a shit about classes. We carried, we cared more about the functionality of remote access and online signups and all of those things that it ended up being the one for us, and the price was perfection so it still has been an amazing software that I am so happy that we went with from the beginning alright safety, cameras, insurance all of that kind of lumped into one um, we had to make sure that our camera system was remote working and storing on Wi-Fi, being able to be um, operational in the event of a power outage um, insurance is something that we thought was going to be way more expensive than it actually was. It was one of the pleasant surprises in owning a gym. I believe our insurance for our gym is around, actually I just paid it, it's $1,700 a year. 
So that equates a little bit more to a hundred than a hundred dollars a month, but you have to pay it yearly, which is one of those fees you get hit with at the beginning of the year. So it's actually more expensive to have insurance on a facility that has employees and classes because your risk of things to happen goes up. So with insurance, safety, and cameras, let me talk about laws again. So if you're to open a gym, it is very important that, again, you get with an attorney or you do the research necessary to check about the laws in your state. For example, in the state of California, the liability of fault, at fault, actually does not fall onto the business owner in many circumstances. In, so this is like in our benefit. If, so say Aunt Sally, she's still alive at this point, goes to go use our cable uh, lat pull-down machine and the lat, and it breaks and it unfortunately lacerates her shoulder. She gets a, a cut on her shoulder because the cable, you know, went down, cut her shoulder. Well, if we as gym owners can prove that we were not exemplifying gross negligence, then we are not at fault. Meaning, we have logs that show that we maintenance the equipment that is numbered, and each number gets a check each month, whether it was maintenance or okay, and we upkeep our equipment and all of that. Now, in a state like Ohio, the gym owners could possibly be at fault for that mechanical failure of the equipment, regardless of the owner's negligence or care to the piece of equipment. Now, if someone was to walk out the door and say there was a sharp nail that was sticking out of the door frame and they cut themselves on that, our insurance would 100% cover some type of random injury like that. But if you were to tear your labrum while doing a shoulder press, sorry, Aunt Sally, that one's on you. So that is definitely something that's important to check with the state laws in your state about what you would be responsible for and what your insurance liabilities will cover. Also, your commercial lease that you will sign will have different ratios of minimal acceptable insurance that you need to have for the building and things like that. Our loan financing company that finances our loan, our special equipment loan, like I mentioned before, requires us to have a certain dollar amount in equipment insurance as well. So a lot of the aspects of our policy are dictated by our commercial lease and our equipment loan financing. So it's not, you know, choose your own rate here. Cleaning, uh, that's something we went through probably about five or six different cleaning people, including companies, to find someone to clean our gym. I think I'm not even going to elaborate on this. This is more of just like a personal thing that I mentioned rather than anything of importance. you got to clean the fucking gym. One of the biggest pieces of advice that we received from Jay, that TJ, that owns Old School Iron in Cleveland, Ohio, one of my favorite fucking gyms ever, is he told us never, ever, ever tell people how many members you have at your gym. That is one of the most common questions that we get. Oh, how many members you guys have? You don't ever fucking tell people that, because guess why? People do mental math, whether it's good math or bad math. It doesn't matter. It's math. 
they say, oh, you have 150 members? Oh, well, my membership is $75 a month. So 75 times 150, that's like $10,000 a month. Damn, they're fucking making a lot on our shit. And then people get spiteful. Well, guess what? Your average Joe who doesn't understand the complexities of owning a business, A, and B, that you might have variable membership rates. For example, one of the memberships that we have is called The Weekender. In LA, since it's hard to get around in the city, um, we have a membership that is only for Friday, Saturday, Sunday only. So it's a little bit easier to travel during the weekend. So people who may live farther want to experience and have our gym as a membership. It's only $40 a month. We get 24-7 access. That is about 50% of our memberships. So if I told you we had 150 members, but you, mental math, thought it was $75 a person, but really 50% of those are $40 a person, that significantly decreases that number. But also, people don't realize, like, we have rent, we have loans, we have utilities, we have other things we pay for, and they don't necessarily think to subtract those numbers. It's just not a good business practice to walk around and tell, boast, brag, or even mention the amount of members that you have at your gym because there's a lot more that goes into that equation than just a number of people that you have. All right, so I've exhausted my list of shit that I want to talk about. Now I want to get into shit that you guys want to know about. I am going to go over the questions that you guys had for me. This is going to be my longest podcast to date. Bear with me, folks. Question time. All right. I probably got about 100 questions regarding this podcast, which is a substantial amount in comparison to some of the questions I've gotten before. I'm going to try to pick out the ones that are most relevant or things that I have not already answered. There are a lot of questions that ask, like, what was the most difficult part, or what was the biggest mistake, or what mistakes would you could have avoided? None of that is really answerable, because, like, it's very specific to us and our business and our location like I talked about our neighbors and things like that like the things that you don't know that aren't gonna that are going to happen are exactly that you know so it's hard to say like oh you should 100% avoid doing this I mean the I did consult one business owner before we opened and I asked you know, a set of questions that I didn't know the answers to, and she really helped me. She wasn't the direct owner of a business, but she was like a co-owner. She wasn't the financial investor. But um, I wish I would have been able to talk to someone like me and discuss my business idea in particular and see how they could have helped me formulate and grow and look for potential pitfalls or things like that in relation to my specific business idea. But I wouldn't say that there's a, a blanket or general, like, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done that. If I had to say one, it's I wish we would have motherfucking done those goddamn bathrooms before we would have opened. But I wish I would have, you know, paid someone for some consulting time. I've there's been a lot of people who have asked me, like, will you help me? Like, I want to start a gym. I'm like, yeah, $100 an hour. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, it's it's such a lengthy amount of knowledge, time, and investment that I've spent on myself in this business that I expect it back if someone is serious about opening theirs. And then if they're willing to pay me, I know that they're actually serious. If not, I know they're just wasting my time, and that's why I'm not, you know, going to just give my time for it to be wasted. Sorry. 
what do all successful gym owners have in common? I would say that this totally varies because every gym has a different you know, outcome and measure. There's a lot of like shitty people out there who just have a good business model and they're successful. There's a lot of gym owners who care and give so many fucks about their clients and their business and that's why they're successful. So I would not say that there is a common thread there except for the concept of having an idea, having a need, having a demand, and having a draw. Back to my original statement. How true is the fact you won't make money owning a gym? And does that actually matter? Well, it's like, do teachers go into teaching to make money? Did I get $187,000 in, well, actually it was $204,000 $204, in student loan debt to become a physical therapist and make $90,000 a year? It's, it's a matter of passion over profit. So I think there's gym models and gyms that do make more money than others. We have been very lucky to be able to be in a point where we receive a profit every month. Now, whether that profit is $200, whether it's $1,000, whether it's $2,000, it's not a lot of money whatsoever. But there's been other arenas that our gym has afforded us to grow and expand our lives to the fact of me coaching. I've been able to do a career change to where I'm coaching full-time and doing private physical therapy for athletes on a cash basis part-time, and that wouldn't be possible without the gym. So I would say that's kind of relative uh, to what you're talking about in terms of profit. Opening a gym in a commercial warehouse versus your own garage that was actually something that we kind of considered in the beginning. Like, should we do a co-op? Should we get, like, a smaller space and get, like, 15 people and we all just, you know, build it out and share the monthly collective? I think that is more about your overall goal and your overall overhead and how you're motivated as an individual. Because for me, a garage gym would not, like, right now, for example, during this government shutdown... I'm still able to lift at my own gym because it's my motherfucking business. And as I stated in my Corona cast, um, Stephen and I decided in the beginning that our training partners are allowed to train with us. So when I'm training, it is myself, Michelle, and her boyfriend, Brent. And it's hard to be motivated, like, without my gym fam. And the the environment of your training facility can 100% dictate your outcome. And I know I've talked about that before, but, like, if you're in a fucking stale-ass environment or you're by yourself, it's hard to generate the same energy. It's like, uh, you know, remember if you've competed before, like, doing your third deadlift attempt and, like, the crowd's cheering for you and just, like, the energy is hyped and, like, that all makes a difference. So, you know, those are based on your individual goals a little bit more than just what kind of gym you want, I guess. How much should you have saved up before finding and pulling the trigger on a business slash retail space? So again, that highly ties in to a lot of the things I talked about with how expensive your place is, the more expensive the commercial real estate is, the more money you need in the motherfucking bank. So it's hard to say. And also like, you know, how big of a facility do you want? Where are you located? Like, if we were to have our gym in Ohio, where I'm from, I bet I could get a fucking 15,000 square foot facility for the overhead that I'm paying right now for a 2500 So all of those questions 
depend on your location, your logistics, your business plan and model, your growth potential, and like what you want for yourself. Are you buying an assault fucking branded warehouse or are you going to do a mixture of new, old, used, and all of that? So that's very specific to your business plan. Someone asked, what does a typical work day for you look like? Well, that was very different from the beginning of the gym to now. So beginning of gym days, I was working at the Hospital of Providence as a uh, outpatient neurospecialist, and I would work either at 7.30 or 8.30 a.m. until 4.30 or 5.30 p.m., And I would wake up at like 4.30 or 5 with Steven, help him get ready in the morning to go to work, and then he would leave. And then the rest of that time, either an hour and a half or two and a half hours, I would do a lot of business management tasks as far as, you know, looking at our debts, answering emails, doing things that related to the business, and then I would go to work. On the weekends, I would spend a lot of my time doing the QuickBooks. And um, it was very much a duality of my day-to-day 40-hour workweek job and running, managing, and owning the business as my part-time and other full-time job. Now, since I work as, you know, basically the full-time business owner and coaching and all of that, I have 50 athletes that I coach. I coach 10 athletes a day, Monday through Friday. On the weekends, for the most part, we, I'm talking as if, Corona's not happening. We go to meets almost two to three weekends a month, or I host seminars, or we have events at the gym. So very much my day is latent with lifting and powerlifting now. Uh, I was a lot of days a week doing physical therapy. Now I'm doing one or two days a week uh, private physical therapy for six to eight hours a day on top of my clients, Tuesdays or Thursdays. Uh, rare occasions I do weekends but basically I work from anywhere from a very very short day four hours to a long day 12 uh, to 14 hours um, doing my coaching and physical therapy and business operations how do I manage my time the largest factor in my time management has been setting boundaries So I do not allow other people to invade my time if it's not warranted. For example, like I cannot cut my time short for my coaching athletes who pay me monthly for my coaching to be able to accept someone for physical therapy because they can only see me at 11 a.m. Well, I do my online coaching work until 1.30 or 2. So if I can only see you at 2 p.m., that's the only time I'm available. I'm sorry. So boundaries have a lot to do with my availability to manage my time. I am a list maker. I make lists of tasks that I need to accomplish, and sometimes I give myself deadlines of when they need to be accomplished. I think going through undergraduate and graduate school has taught me a lot about time management and task you know orientation that I just I get shit done and I feel like that's my skill set that's why Steven is more on the physical side of the operations of like doing physical tasks that need to be accomplished rather than doing tasks of lists of you know things that need to be done and maintained so that's just where I thrive and strive and I've been able over the past you know 10 or 15 years of being a student able to give myself that structure and know what I need to do and what I don't need to to do 
Someone asked, what organizational skills do you incorporate to keep yourself on task? So again, I do lists. I have this app that you guys might love. It is called Any List, A-N-Y-L-I-S-T. Its little icon is blue and it looks like a little piece of paper. And I believe it's free, but you can just make lists. You can make categorized lists, uncategorized lists. You can scratch off the items. It, I, I used to have a hard time doing things digitally, but now I'm in love with everything digital because as soon as I get an idea I need to do it, I put it on a list. And, you know, I have lists like shopping, like to-do, must be done by Wednesday, and I give myself a deadline. I, you know, hey, Siri, remind me tomorrow at 8 a.m. that I need to do such and such and such. And then I will keep that reminder going. So I use, uh, you know, multifactorial approach of self-accountability and notifications and reminders. But all in all, I think in order to keep organized as far as like from a business perspective, you have to have intrinsic motivation for those types of things. And if you don't, you need to find someone who does and you need to employ them because tasks and things can build up and they can build up quickly if you don't attend and address them as soon as they need to be. How do you find a manufacturer for apparel? Well, that can be in a variety of ways. So currently we are making hats and um, shaker bottles, dog collars, and like I mentioned before, those fucks Aunt Sally um, COVID-19 masks. Some of those things have been made overseas. We have made a collaboration with Nightmare Muscle and they do a lot of our apparel. Um, I like United States-based company because if I have an idea of something that I want done, I can get it done this week and then I get the product next week. Whereas the blender bottles, they're getting manufactured in China and it's about a 25 to 40 day process from the time we submit the order to the time it's delivered to me here. So it just depends on the product and what I'm willing to take as a profit margin because the more distant you get the product, the higher the product margin, profit margin can be on that product. For example, um, for hats, um, I'm getting hats done here in the United States by a local supplier, someone who we actually used to do all of our clothing with. He's not unreliable. He's just a little bit late. He'll be like, oh, it, it'll be ready on Monday. And then Friday, I'm like, what the fuck, Brandon? And I have a hard-on for people who are punctual and who stick with their timelines. So that's why we switched to Mike at Nightmare Muscle to begin with. Um, he's very punctual. He does what he says. Um, but the hats I could get in China for like $2 a hat. But here in the United States, they're about 9 to $10 a hat. So it's, it's a difference. Sometimes it's quality, not always, because a lot of times uh, manufacturers in the United States actually order and get from China and then they supply it to you. So they're getting those profit shares as well. So it's contacts, connections, and being able to explore different resources depending on your timeline and also the profit margin you're willing to accept for your business. What is your best and favorite marketing technique? As I said, it is Instagram. Um, I feel like as, you know, Dr. Ash, Ashley, the powerlifter, the PT, and the coach, I've created a brand for myself that has a pretty strong base of people who want that knowledge and information. So I think our biggest brand has been who we are as a gym, 
being different and distinct that it's like, oh, fuck, I want to go to a gym that does that. I want to go to a gym that has parties like that. You know, um, I want to learn from, you know, Dr. Ash. I want to do her deadlift seminar. And, fuck, bum muscle's fucking huge. I want to go see that ass in person. So it's the brand that we've created interpersonally and actually physically over paying for marketing. Someone asks, what are other things that you feel that gyms are doing wrong that bug you? I kind of highlighted on this. This is one of the motivating factors that actually caused us to open our gym was the restrictions that gyms place on you as a client or a gym goer. Like, no chalk. You can't have your bag on the floor. You can't be loud. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, just, you know, the freedom of lifting in the capacity that you choose to with equipment that is meant to be used and abused per se um that is something that i feel like is done wrong i feel like a lot of gym owners favor profit over product and they care more about you know like gold's venice is 50 dollars a day pass like shit like that like the purest in me is like no that's just not right you know um so those are the kind of things that like um we don't have initiation fees we, we actually might be changing that. Some of the things that we were, like, totally against in the beginning, we might be changing. We might have a small initiation fee to, like, cover some of our startup costs. Um, but it's, like, the maintenance fees. What the fuck is a maintenance fee? It's just a way for that company to get more money out of you. Like, oh, in July and December, we charge $39.99 as a maintenance fee to maintain your account. Well, no. You fucking have an account and you pay a flat rate for your fucking software. So what, what do you have to do to maintain? You have to go into that person's account and clean it up? No, that's bullshit. You know, a $50 initiation fee. Um, all we charge is $5 for a key. We were thinking of charging 20 which would help us a little bit recuperate. It's more recuperating some of the losses that we've had during the coronavirus more than anything. We'll call it a fucking coronavirus sign-up cost. So it's that's what I think the profits over product is kind of something that bothers me a little bit. How do you get over your self-doubt and negativity, even if it's coming from your own family? Well... Stephen and I are unique in our family situation in that, yes, we both have family, but we're not close with our family in the sense that anything they fucking say influences anything we fucking do. There's been so many instances, like, when I actually first started working at Providence, I got hired to work in the jail at Terminal Island. I was like, fuck yeah, so I was going to work three days a week at Terminal Island Outpatient Facility. So Terminal Island Corrections Facility is for, like, white-collar lifers, basically. So there's a bunch of old people needing physical therapy, joint replacements, all this bullshit. And then the other two days a week, I was going to work in the hospital, kind of floating wherever the needs were. The contract didn't end up working out. But for the first six months of my stint at Providence, I was floating in anticipation of eventually going to the jail. And at one point in time, we were visiting Ohio, and we were telling my family about my job and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, <gasps> Oh my god, you're gonna work with prisoners! And my fucking beloved husband was like, Shut the fuck up! 
didn't you get arrested once and blah, 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 and, like, started calling them all out? And he's like, yeah, my wife is going to do something that's fucking cool, fucking cooler than you've ever done in your entire life. And I'm like, that's my husband. So we both are very much outside of the box thinkers, and we don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about that box. Like, for example, fuck your Aunt Sally. I hope she dies so that I can reopen my fucking business and make money and my tenants can go back to work and they can pay me rent because that's my fucking livelihood. So it, it's there. We really didn't have any doubt at all. We counted, we count on ourselves. And we feel like we are the most trustworthy people that we know that 100% of the time we can, you know, it's like betting on red, betting on black. We're betting on ourselves. And we know we're going to fucking come out the victor because we know we're a solid team and we can trust each other even in the depths of despair. Like right now, like when we were closed, like when we were getting sued, it's how strong is your partnership, whether it's a business partner or a romantic partner or whatever. I'm lucky that I have both. Someone asked on pricing coaching services when you're just starting out. So honestly, um, this is kind of off topic, but on topic, something that we considered when we were first starting out was like offering like group training or like, you know, like online templates and like you sign up, but we just felt like the distribution of that platform was going to be a little bit too difficult to maintain with us both working full time. But I feel like determining your price is, again, it's kind of the same model determined by the need, the demand and the draw. For example, um, you know, there's so many fucking Instagram influencers who, because they have 50,000, 100,000 followers, feel like they are worth 125, 200, $250 a month. I've seen some crazy fucking prices. But I feel like I've done this. You should listen to this is for Michelle. You, my client, you should listen to my podcast if you already haven't on um, coaching styles and conjugate versus linear because I address some of these questions because a lot of that should be dictated by your accolades, your profession, your accomplishments, and your ability to coach or train. But I think if you're absolutely brand new and you know incorporating this into a business model, whether you're a gym owner or just a private coach, you should you know, bank this on your experience. If you feel so foreign that you don't really know what you're doing, you should offer some voluntary coaching services so that you can get a better base of knowledge and have some results to be able to compare and to demonstrate to your future clients. Because that's a question that I get a lot is like, well, you know, what are some of your past clients done? And then, you know, I can show them those results because I have not only, you know, the knowledge base and the skills to back it up, but I have the results with my clients. So I feel like that could be something you can 100% incorporate in your business model as a gym owner is if you're also a personal trainer in setting your price point for that. You can also, so for example, when I first started coaching, I charged $100 a month. My coaching price is now $150 a month. I've realized the need, the demand, the draw, and the value for my coaching has significantly increased during that time. I undervalued my service at first. So I guess you can start off with a price point that you feel like is you know, fair or enticing to your draw and need and demand, and then you can adjust from there. How did you decide for your name, South Bay Strength Company? Well, although Mr. Steven decided the business idea, your girl came up with not only the name, but 
the logo. Um, we were just kind of like bouncing ideas for the name. We, we were like, you know, the strength factory, the lift factory, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, South Bay Strength Company, and it stuck. And then one day I was taking a nap. And I'm a crazy, crazy individual, and I believe in the law of attraction, and when you take a nap, all of your resistance fades away, and you're in your natural state, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyways, I woke up from my nap, and I drew this picture. It kind of looks like a dick. I, if I could find this picture, I want to try to upload it as the, um, the album art of this episode, and I will. It was the first initial sketch of South Bay Strength Company. I was like, I want an anchor with flexing arms, and I want SBSC in the middle, blah, blah, blah. And then we took that idea, and we gave it to someone who actually knows how to do digital design, and we paid her to make what is now our logo. We had several renditions before we decided on the actual one, but it's pretty reflective of what that initial thought was. As a 20-year-old who is thinking of starting and opening a gym, what path should I take education-wise? I don't necessarily think you should go into get your, you know, bachelor's or master's of business management. I think the, you know, in all of my education, which is a lot of years um, of, you know, getting my doctorate and also being a business owner, I received a lot of, you know, anecdotal education. I think the largest thing I've ever been able to apply my knowledge to is hands-on. So like when I was in school, being in clinicals, learning from someone who's done this for 20, 30 years, who's teaching me hands-on, I now, knowing all the information I know, wish I would have had a me to educate, teach, and mentor me throughout the process of owning a gym. So I think finding someone who is in your industry, finding many people who are in, in your industry, think of how much it would cost you to get a bachelor's or master's degree. That's on the low ball and we'll say $25,000 and $50,000, right? It would be nominal in comparison just to pay someone for um, mentoring, coaching, and you know, time online or in person to help mentor and coach you through the process of being a business owner, even if you were paying them $200 an hour, right? All right. The last question from my beautiful client, Betty. What is something no one tells you but is a make it or break it thing for your business? I will say this. I say this question for last on purpose. It is to not sell out. There have been many times where we could have folded our initial intentions and business idea and model to create and generate revenue, whether it was hosting classes, renting out our space, doing things that didn't necessarily agree with what we set out South Bay Strength Company to be from day one. I think for us, because we were so headstrong on having this business be the way that it was for all of the reasons why we wanted it to be the way that it was, if we would have broke from that, Stephen and I would have felt some sense of guilt and regret that maybe would have had us be upset with each other if one person was pushing towards that idea more than the other. But in general, we've sacrificed everything we've had to start this business and we still two years later are continuing now in this sacrifice that if we would have moved away from the premise of what started this all to something else that we're not even invested in emotionally just to keep the money stream flowing we might as well not be doing this at all so I think it's 
finding your heart's desire and staying true to that is something that will make or break you and your business and your business model. Because without the foundations that you have and had to start your entire business on, if you move away from that, then what are you really doing? What is your identity as a business owner? Are you really emotionally invested in this? Or are you only doing it for the profit? Then if that's the case, then fuck it, right? Then your profits over product. And from the beginning, your product over profits always. So, well... With that being said, almost two hours into my longest podcast ever, I thank the one or two of you that have stuck with me this far. To date, I want to mention that I have five motherfucking thousand downloads of my podcast, and that gives me a wedgie. I am truly appreciative of all of you that have listen to me that have given me feedback please rate me because one dumbass motherfucker gave me a zero or one star on uh apple podcast i don't know why it's probably fucking one of my haters but if you can give me a rating you don't have to write me a review just shoot me a five star four star three star whatever not a one star and i just i'm happy to be able to share my knowledge and experience because I always wish that I had someone who had my knowledge helping me throughout all of my life choices. You know, undergraduate school, graduate school. If only I would have known now what I would have known then. And, or the other way around, something like that. But I really love y'all. And I hope during this corona time that you're safe mentally and physically. As I mentioned last podcast, that a lot of people are having a hard time, myself included. And you know what? I'm doing the best I can every day to make it. And you don't need to come up with a side hustle. And you don't need to come out of this with, you know, a million other ways to make money because some people are just having a hard time getting up and taking a fucking shower. And that's okay because as I've displayed in this podcast, maybe you don't see in the outside the complexities of some of the things that's going on in someone's personal life on the inside. You know, someone who owns a business, someone who's, whose multi-dimensional income revenue streams are all stopped right now. And they don't have an answer. They don't have a resource to go to. And you know what? That's okay. I ain't fucking saying cry me a river, but I'm saying that it's okay to not be okay. And I really appreciate each and every one of you that take the time to reach out to me to tell me that this is important to you. Because although you feel like I am impacting your life, you're impacting mine that much more to keep me doing the things that I'm doing and taking the time to provide these educational materials and resources for all of you guys to learn and enrich yourselves with. So I appreciate you more than you fucking know. Thank you and bye-bye.